I do know that something needs to change and that's what everybody always says. And then that's also what everybody always says. Um, it's become a cycle of something awful happens. People say, this has to be it. This has to be the last time. And then it's not the last time and change doesn't happen. Coming up on Carolina Connection, UNC locks down twice in 16 days. Good morning, I'm Henry Taylor. And I'm Savannah Gunter. The UNC community shares their feelings after two campus-wide lockdowns and the killing of a professor. Students hold a rally at the state capitol in Raleigh calling for gun control. And Chancellor Guskiewicz addresses the mental health toll. Imagine the stress, the trauma, and the anxiety that a second lockdown in 16 days has caused for our students, our faculty, and our staff. This pains me as a member of this community now for over 28 years, and I'm committed to doing everything possible to maintain the safety of all those who work, learn, and live here at Carolina. From the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media, this is Carolina Connection. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to our first program of the school year. So far, it has been a start marked by tragedy, trauma, and loss. On August 28th, just a week into the semester, Professor Seje Yen was shot and killed while working in Caudill Laboratories on campus. Police arrested one of his graduate students, Tai Lei Chi, who has been charged with first-degree murder. Fellow faculty members paid tribute to Professor Yen at a faculty council meeting. Sierra Pfeiffer reports. Professor Yen was remembered as a gentle mentor and a loving father. The memorial resolution was translated to Mandarin and read aloud by Chinese program advisor, Professor Wei Yu. The resolution reads, Professor Sejie Yen was a dedicated teacher, mentor, and colleague, a devoted father of two young children, and a beloved friend to many in our community. A member of the Carolina faculty since 2019, he was an associate professor in the Department of Applied Physical Sciences and the leader of the Yen Research Group. He has been described by those who knew him best as a brilliant scholar and a kind and generous person. We mourn the death of Professor Sejie Yen and extend our deepest sympathy to his family, his students, his colleagues, and other loved ones. His academic legacy will live on through his contributions to science, the scholarship of his students, and in the memory of his colleagues. More than 5,000 people attended a vigil for Professor Yen, with 10,000 more watching online. On August 30th, the bell tower tolled three times at 1.02 p.m., the time of the shooting. After Professor Yen was shot, UNC's campus went on lockdown for several hours until the suspect was arrested. Then, this week, 16 days after the shooting, the campus was ordered into lockdown again when a man allegedly pulled out a gun in the student union. Nobody was hurt and no shots were fired in that case. All this has come amid the regular stress of starting a school year. New students arriving on campus, people getting to know their dorm mates, and getting used to their classes. We talk with students and others about how they're feeling. It feels eerie. Like I was just talking to someone a few minutes ago, and I told them that it feels like, you know, during a movie, like when the music stops playing, that's the best way I can describe it. 
I've always seen it on the news. I've always seen it like in other places. It's just astounding to me that it actually happened to here in my first semester of college. They start playing like crazy alarms. Like I've, you've never heard alarms like those before. They're not like normal sirens from a cop. It was a little hectic because we wasn't expecting what happened. Uh, we had went through a seminar about it, but to be there and actually experiencing it and knowing that it was happening, it was kind of frightening. Um, we just wanted everybody to be calm, make sure nobody was by the window so they wouldn't be seen. The university should have been a lot more clear about what was happening because a lot of rumors were spreading through and they were not denying nor confirming anything. So we just had to assume the worst so that we could take care of each other. There was a period of time where people were tweeting and, and saying that the shooter was in our building or right next to it. And I mean, you know, it was a lecture hall of 200, 300 people and the whole atmosphere. I mean, we were all terrified. Um, you know, we saw our life flash before our eyes, essentially. It was really hard to know what was going on. I mean, I felt like I kind of knew what was happening, but there was just a lot up in the air and we weren't actually hearing that much from like Alert Carolina or anything. Yeah, I just remember like getting into the fetal position because I've never been through anything like this before. So it was very unreal and I think right now I'm in a position where I feel so disconnected from that. So I, I don't really know how to process the emotion right now, so. It can be hard to talk about, you know, where we were and how we were feeling at the time, but I think it allows us to connect with other people and know that we're not alone in this situation. No matter where you stand politically, whether it's left, right, whatever, like I'm openly slightly conservative, but something needs to be done to kind of tackle the fact that this can't happen again. It shouldn't be allowed. Young people today are sometimes referred to as the lockdown generation because they were the first to grow up with active shooter drills in grade school. Now, as they attend college, those drills have come in handy. Some UNC students say something has to change. Anthony DeHart has more. The events of August 28th shook UNC's community to its core. Catherine Fiore, a first year at UNC, says the feeling on campus during and after the event was one of shock. It almost seems like none of us really know what to feel and what to think, and we're all kind of, you look around and you see people um, a lot more quiet and a lot more reflective and serious than they normally would be, and there's like a hush has fallen over campus. For students like Ben Diazio, the incident disrupted the feeling of safety they've come to expect at UNC. It, it shook my world a little bit because I thought I was safe at Chapel Hill, and that made me realize that maybe I'm not, and maybe, you know, I'm at risk of gun violence even on my campus. For many students, this type of situation is not an anomaly. Many others have called them the lockdown generation. Speaking to Sarah Choi, a senior at UNC, that moniker starts to make sense. This is my second shooting in two months that I've been, I guess, present in. So I think it's just becoming very real, this problem that a lot of people think is not tangible. For students who grew up following news reports of deadly shootings like Parkland and Sandy Hook, it can feel like a toxic cycle with little hope of meaningful change. I do know that something needs to change and that's what everybody always says. And then that's also what everybody always says. Um, it's become a cycle of something awful happens. People say this has to be it. This has to be the last time. And then it's not the last time and change doesn't happen.
On Wednesday, August 30th, students from NC Young Democrats and student demonstrators from March for Our Lives gathered in the quad at UNC to demand action to address gun violence. I have just one question. Why the hell does this keep happening? They held up signs saying, this is our reality. Sloan Duvall, the secretary of UNC Young Democrats, explained the message behind the signs. The reality of students in the United States is hiding under desks, barricading themselves behind doors, and locking classrooms. This is our reality is to lawmakers who are closed in their offices and in their legislative buildings and don't understand the reality of students fearing for their lives every day. Death by firearm is now the leading cause of death for children and adolescents, according to the CDC. After holding a second demonstration at the Capitol building on September 12th, UNC students and demonstrators filed into the gallery of the House chamber. T.J. White is the president of the UNC Young Democrats and one of the organizers of the rally. So uh, as we're standing out here about to walk into the legislative chamber, you know, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Most certainly hopeful um, and I'm, I'm committed and I'm ready um, to, to make some noise. And make some noise they did. House Speaker Tim Moore recognized the group. They stood in unison and chanted, vote them out. Police quickly escorted the students out of the building where they gathered in front of the legislative building. For this group, closure is still a long way off. On Wednesday, September 13th, another incident on campus sent students into lockdown. As students grapple with these incidents, Alexander Dinza, one of the organizers of the event, says one thing is for sure, they won't be quiet about we'll it. We'll be back. We will be back and we will make sure our voices are continued to be heard. In Chapel Hill, I'm Anthony DeHart. In the midst of their grief and uncertainty, some students found solace and support through mental health resources that are available on campus. UNC Friendship Association of Chinese Students and Scholars held the Healing, Compassion, Resilience Mental Health Panel last week, offering students a sense of solidarity and comfort. Tiani Wong has the story. Squeezing stress relief orbis balls and writing messages of encouragement on small and smooth stones. UNC students are uniting to support one another in the aftermath of a harrowing campus shooting. Fear, anxiety, anger and sadness have enveloped the student community as they mourn the loss of UNC associate professor Zijie Yan. Teresa Zhang, a first-year student, has noticed changes in her mental well-being since the tragedy. At first, I feel like sad, but I thought I was okay at first, but then I found out I was actually like um, looking at YouTube the whole day and biting my nails, which really like the event actually really negatively impact my mood. Zhang is not alone in her struggles. Many students on campus are grappling with similar feelings as they attempt to process their emotions and regain a sense of normalcy. Kendall Brand, a transfer junior, says the shooting affects the mental health of everyone, which makes it hard to go through the complex emotions. The thing for me was when I see how scared and shocked and panicked my friends were, and that made me feel very sad. Despite their shared hardship, both Strong and Brand are actively seeking assistance and exploring the mental health resources available on campus. They participated in a mental health panel held by the UNC Friendship Association of Chinese Students and Scholars.
UNC FAST is a student-run organization dedicated to bringing together the local Chinese and Carolina communities. The panel provides attendees with a list of mental health resources, perspectives on navigating trauma and grief, as well as food and refreshments. Li Li Jiang is the vice president of UNC Fest. We had like some panelists today, and we also prepared like some unique activities, like doing the stressing balls and writing the stones. Jiang hopes that this mental health panel can help students who are seeking support. And she says the organization will continue to dedicate itself to promoting students' overall well-being. I feel like one panel is not enough for like their entire well-being, but it should be a starting point that. Um, they will realize, oh, there are like more resources for us, and there are more people willing to help us. Brand says the panel effectively helps him to connect with fellow students and look out for each other. This event showed me that hey, we're all going through this together. You know, there's a whole community behind us supporting us, and that makes it so much better. Since the tragedy, the university, organizations, and faculty members have all worked to provide mental health resources to students across campus. UNC Counseling and Psychological Services immediately responded on August 29th and 30th. CAPS continued to support students after another armed and dangerous incident that occurred on Wednesday. As Brent moves on to dealing with his emotions, he says the shooting makes him live in the moment and cherish the things he had. I came from New Hampshire originally, and stuff like this never happens. And it just happened the second week when I'm here. So it gives me this sense that like you never know what's gonna happen in life. So you should treasure what you have right now and work hard for a better future. He also says it's helpful that the university is providing a lot of mental health resources for students, and he personally benefited from them. They might not be used to the situation, but I can see that they're trying really hard to help every single one of us, and I'm thankful for it. In Chapel Hill, I'm Tian Yu Wang. Also shaken by the events are professors and staff. They were at a unique intersection. They had their own lives, their own family members, and colleagues to worry about, on top of their responsibility to their students. Sophia Cassini reports on how faculty are processing the aftermath of the tragedy. In the aftermath of August 28th, faculty members were left to grapple with their own emotions while trying to offer support and a sense of normalcy for their students. At a faculty council meeting last Friday, faculty chair Beth Morocco said those emotions are complex. Learning that the relationship between the suspect and the victim was that of graduate student and mentor struck us as faculty particularly hard, as we cherish those intense relationships that we have with our graduate students. They become like family to us, and we revel in their learning, in their accomplishments, and we applaud them as we launch them into academia and beyond. As a well-respected and beloved colleague emailed me during, right after the event, something precious has been shattered. How do we rebuild? Many faculty members at the meeting said they felt unprepared for the lockdown. The faculty had questions about whether they could legally force a student to remain in the classroom and concerns about the lack of communication from the university during the lockdown. For many faculty members, this event opened old wounds. Associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology, Anissa Vines, shared how even from off campus, the event shook her. I was off campus. However, it became doubly um, and, and very traumatizing for me as I recognize that 
I was, I reached out to my daughter to find out that she was only a block away in her car. Outside of the faculty meeting, associate professor in the Hussman School of Media and Journalism, Deb Icott, also shared how terrifying it felt to be on campus as a professor and a father of a student and spouse of a faculty member. He was alone in his office for three hours, checking WhatsApp and the news for any information on what was going on. On top of being unprepared for the shooting, Icott felt unprepared for the aftermath. You do not see your workplace as a place of danger. Otherwise, you would not come to your workplace. You would not be able to uh, work here. And, and the worst part is you cannot focus when you are living in fear. You cannot. Uh, and, and that's what we were. And that's what we are now. One person had a weapon and did something crazy, right? And the whole community is reeling under that. So I felt really powerless. I, I felt that all the work that we have done can be disrupted by one crazy person. In the wake of tragedy, staff is left to pick up the pieces. I don't think we have enough resources for um, to take care of these things. So the u university can take three steps. One is to be proactive and train um, the faculty, the students, the staff to kind of take care of these situations. The second thing is, in a university, I've often wondered, there are no, uh, no big security things. All the doors are open. Think of that. All the doors are open. Anything, anybody can do anything. When I teach my class, I don't know who is coming. Everybody has a backpack. I don't know what's in the backpack. And, and last but not the least, I think whenever these things happen, God forbid, I think there has to be a better communication. I don't think this time, uh, the three hours of lockdown was crazy. And it was fortunate situation that people were safe. But think of that, if somebody was let loose with a weapon, it would be crazy, right? In Chapel Hill, this is Sophia Cazzini. Following the second lockdown, UNC Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz spoke to the news media and made a promise to the university community. We're going to do everything possible uh, to reassure uh, everyone that, that visits this campus uh, that this is a safe place to be. He acknowledged criticisms the university received about its response to the August shooting. Uh, we heard that uh, many of the community members wanted to have more frequent updates through different uh, means of communication, and so uh, we, we acted on that already. He also expressed sadness over the toll the lockdowns have had on the UNC community. Imagine the stress the trauma and the anxiety that a second lockdown in 16 days has caused for our students, our faculty, and our staff. This pains me as a member of this community now for over 28 years, and I'm committed to doing everything possible to maintain the safety of all those who work, learn, and live here at Carolina. UNC leaders say the university has learned from these lockdowns and will have a stronger response to future emergencies. Part of that response includes hiring a new Director of Threat Assessment, who will start in October, according to Media Relations. The position will report to the Associate Vice Chancellor for Campus Safety. If you're going through a difficult time and want to reach out and talk to somebody who can help, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Its new number is 988. You're listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Henry Taylor. And I'm Savannah Gunter. Now we move on to other news from UNC. 
The Board of Trustees met this week to consider their legal options in the case of Tez Walker. Walker is the football player who wanted to transfer from Kent State to UNC, but the NCAA blocked the transfer. Kensley Brady reports. The NCAA is treating Walker's transfer as his third eligible athletic opportunity. He had initially signed with NC Central, but never played there because of the pandemic. He did play at Kent State and transferred this summer to UNC. Speaking to reporters after the South Carolina game earlier this month, UNC head football coach Mac Brown criticized the decision because Walker never stepped on the field at NCCU. He's only played at one school. The school that the young man transfers from writes a letter that says they agreed that he needed to transfer for his mental health. Being at UNC allowed him to be closer to his ill grandmother. After being denied eligibility, Walker appealed the decision. The NCAA released a statement stating that mental health does not necessarily support a waiver request. It mentioned that in some situations it suggests a student athlete should be primarily focused on addressing those critical issues. We have a committee that sits up there that never talks to Tez, never talks to his grandmother, never talks to our doctors, never talks to the, the mental health people on our campus, never talks to our chaplain who Tez talks to every day and, and he's really struggling. Coach Mac Brown is not the only one that is struggling with the ruling. Quarterback Drake May commented on the ruling from the NCAA after the Hills' first game of the season. You see, you got guys out there transferred three and four times playing, and Ted's out here done it the right way, and he's not getting rewarded. I think the NCAA is just trying to make a statement. You know, I think it's just it's a shame what, what they've done with, with Ted. The backlash from the UNC football program has not altered the decision for the NCAA. It believes time away from football is the best option for Walker's mental health situation. ESPN analysis Jay Billis disagreed with the NCAA statement. It is wrong. And when the NCAA says student-athlete welfare, that's pretty far down the list behind money and behind what they think is their reputation. While the NCAA has noted that it has received various messages and threats, outside support has been seen by Walker and the UNC program. And it's not a question of trying to establish credibility because the NCAA has none in this area. This makes no sense and it's wrong. Tez Walker should be eligible right away and I wouldn't blame him and his lawyers if they stepped into federal court tomorrow. Individuals within the Carolina football program and outside of it are standing behind Walker. The UNC athletic program is still pushing in hopes to change the minds of the NCAA. I see a mental health issue. I see it at the highest level. While they haven't decided what the next step is, Walker and UNC Athletics are working towards getting his eligibility back for this season. In Chapel Hill, I'm Kinsley Ratty. This Sunday began as a quiet and still morning. Yet, by 11.15, campus streets were filled with children's voices, laughter, and the sounds of hundreds of basketballs dribbling all at once. UNC athletics teams gathered in Carmichael Arena to participate in the Dribble for Victory Over Cancer event for the second year in a row. Caroline Horn reports. UNC men's and women's basketball teams, as well as others such as women's field hockey, men's baseball, men's cross, and cheerleaders, all came to dribble basketballs to children and parents affected by pediatric cancer. RJ Davis, a senior men's basketball player, dribbled around the one-mile loop past the bell tower in Old Well, with children participating in the event and his teammates. Just a, a great cause. Um, so student-athletes really care for you know, cancer, and uh, just kind of overall, I think it brings a good environment. Uh, they had a lot of people show up today, which is really good, and also raising money for um, a foundation. So uh, that's you know, part of the reason why I love doing stuff like this. Children at the event were able to meet and take pictures of the athletes, as well as get basketball signed. Nancy Linfisty said that her son Scott loves UNC basketball 
and that he was excited to see the players. My son Scott was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at three years old and he went through three and a half years of treatment at UNC Cancer Center. And we feel extremely lucky that he's still here today. Um, we know a lot of kids who have passed away and research is so important, so we're um, super excited to be here to support the event. Lymphasty also said that childhood cancer is the number one disease killer of kids in the U.S. This year's event raised over $65,000, and nationally the event has raised more than $2 million in 16 years. Here we go, the top individual fundraisers. Maria Gochten, a junior on the women's basketball team, said that she was excited to be at the event as a way to get to know the Carolina community after transferring from Boston College. I feel like this is needed for the community and I feel like it's an annual event and this is my first year here so I'm just excited to be a part of the community um, of Carolina and how close-knit it is. This event was a collaboration between UNC Athletics, Chapel Hill Parks and Recreation, the V Foundation, and the Pediatric Cancer Research Foundation. Proceeds from the event will support the UNC Children's Research Institute through the Dick Patel Fund for Pediatric Cancer, a specialized grant within the V Foundation. In Chapel Hill, I'm Caroline Horn. At the Chapel Hill Public Library, and soon on Rosemary Street, a nonprofit called B3 Coffee can't wait to pour your next cup. B3 is dedicated to equal opportunities for all abilities. Carolina Connections' W.H. Hayes has more. Should you ever find yourself wanting a coffee while at the Chapel Hill Public Library, you'd be in luck. At the front entrance, you'll find the one and only B3 Coffee. As a nonprofit organization, it seeks to provide support to those of all abilities, both as a resource and as a place of work. The organization was founded by three UNC grad students studying occupational therapy, Jacqueline Guggins, Greg Bowler, and Hannah Steen. B3 has been around for three years now, both as pop-up kiosks and a full-time location in the library. Alex Martelmat is the brand ambassador. He does vlogs and public speaking as B3 ramps up to open a new location at the Carolina Junction on Rosemary Street. I was in college at Alameda Community College and I was working at a cafe in 2020 when I lost my job and a month when I lost it I found a B3 online and I asked to join the team. For B3 Coffee's new location at the Innovate Carolina Junction, a hub for businesses to connect with each other and to the UNC Chapel Hill campus, the fresh opening is on the 18th with a grand opening on the 27th. They also plan to expand into other areas, either with pop-up kiosks or other brick-and-mortar locations. Martelmat, whose favorite drink is iced coffee, says he hopes he can continue to inspire and that his work can lead to positive change. I think the most thing that I impacted was that my speech came true and it just made me feel so happy that I wrote a speech about having a location on UNC campus and it's finally coming true so I'm just happy that it's a real thing. The kiosks and their coffee may be the end product but a lot goes into making sure that those who work at B3 have a good foundation before they even learn to make espresso. Krista Carraway, a manager and events coordinator for B3 with a love for vanilla lattes, explains how the kiosk accommodates the baristas that work there. Accessibility is key. Um, so our kiosks are accessible to everybody, and if we need to make changes or additions, we are constantly doing so. So our new kiosk on campus will be physically accessible, as in wheelchair and for people with physical disabilities. But as far as um, for our members working, we have everything on picture cards. We also have it in writing. We have it in print. We have it 
um, color-coded and we also have it on iPads as well as YouTube tutorials and people can scan everything and get a tutorial on what they're using. So I'd say everything's very accessible to everybody. B3 stands for Being, Belonging, and Becoming. It employs people of all kinds of abilities to create an open and welcoming space alongside giving support to those who work at the kiosks. Allie Marks, a barista at the library kiosk, came from Huntersville with her sister and has been here since February. She's also excited to be working at the upcoming kiosk at the Carolina Junction where she can't wait to make more hot chocolates. It looks special. It feels like a brand new star is about to happen like you never noticed it before. Like the new kiosk is going to be the best newest kiosk in the world and it's going to be on Rosemary Street in this mid-sized building. Please don't hesitate to stop by and enjoy the coffee. You know, that's how it rolls around here. All of this work goes towards B3's goal to bring their advocacy and support to as many people as possible, no matter their ability. In Chapel Hill, I'm W.H. Hayes. And that's it for this edition of Carolina Connection, a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is Kevin Paris. I'm Henry Taylor. And I'm Savannah Gunter. You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UNC Connection and on Facebook at Carolina Connection. Thanks for listening. Thank you.